0: I am so excited today. I am interviewing Nancy Jutton, as in button. That's how she told me to pronounce her last name. Nancy, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story in a way that I know you don't normally do.
1: Well, thanks for having me. It's a great opportunity.
0: Yeah. So would you please take us back to the beginning of when did your cancer journey start?
1: Well, it was May 27th, 2022. I was, I was very recent. I was preparing for the biggest online launch of my career since the pandemic hit. I had 1,500 people signed up to participate in my podcast guesting masterclass. And I went in for my mammogram and it came back positive for breast cancer. I had 1500 people coming to my party and I was dealing with a very serious black cat that just crossed my path and I asked myself, do I curl up in a ball and cancel everything or do I put on my big girl panties and see through my, <laughs> like a rock star and see how I can grow from this. And so that's how it started.
0: Did you do your masterclass?
1: I did my masterclass. I had over a thousand people tune in. I teach people how to be brilliant podcast guests so that they're never hungry for an audience ever again. And so I compartmentalized my news. I delivered like a champion. I enrolled people into the program that I'm so proud of. And I subsequently taught that class like it was the most important thing that I needed to do. And I scheduled all of my appointments, tests surgeries etc for the thursday friday saturday sunday monday tuesday window so every wednesday at nine o'clock i could be on and ready to do whatever needed to be done for my students and i should also point out that i didn't tell any of my students that i had anything that was going on with me i just decided that when it was time for me to go on and serve my people that i would be on and serve my people and then For a lot of the time, after I was done, because it was a 9 to 11 a.m. call, I would just take a nap or take care of whatever I needed to do because there was a lot to contend with.
0: Yeah. So before last year, had you ever had any issues with mammograms? Yes. Okay. So tell us about that.
1: Over 20 years, I've had issues on the right side. I... I've had stereotactic breast biopsies to investigate irregular cells. I've had ultrasound. I even had a surgery to remove something that looked uncommon and not preferred. And so I was and have been pretty familiar with the anxiety that goes with going in and having a test and finding out that things aren't looking quite the way they should. And for 20 years, I think every time I'd have to go in for my mammogram, I would just hold my breath and hope for the best. And this time I still do the mammogram and say to myself, let the result be boring, benign and unremarkable. Let the (laughs) result be boring, benign and unremarkable. These are not the words we typically associate with what we want people to describe our breasts. Usually we want them to say they're beautiful or they're bountiful or they're bodacious or whatever. what I wanted was boring, benign, and unremarkable. And this time I didn't get what I wished for. And, and that set me on a whole new path.
0: Isn't it interesting in medicine that the word unremarkable is positive?
1: It's a beautiful thing. That yeah. is the most beautiful thing.
0: <laughs> As a writer, it Kind of drives me crazy because it's such an incorrect use of the word, but I just love that you wished for unremarkable because I totally get it. I understand. Yeah. You get this news and what were the next steps? Because it sounds like you definitely had experience with test after mammograms, but, but now it's, the mammogram is saying, yes, this is cancer. So what came next?
1: Well, in my case, I mean, it was kind of an interesting and quite remarkable experience because I've been a healthy person all my life. I've rarely even taken vitamin. And we moved to Bellingham from Bellevue, Washington about three and a half years ago. And because I'm such a healthy person, I didn't have a primary care doc. And so there was nobody to read my results. And so I ended up having to somehow get myself in an appointment with a nurse practitioner at a local family practice so that we could meet so she could read my results. And so I remember this so vividly. She says, well, it's very nice to meet you. Um, I know this is our first time meeting and it's never fun to have to share news of this type on a first occasion, but I have to let you know that you have breast cancer. And then I she said, what else is going on with you? And I pointed, <laughs> I pointed to another a minor symptom that I had. And she said, well, we need to get that checked out. And oh, by the way, we need to do blood work. So within about a week or two of all of that, this healthy person who scarcely ever took a vitamin and was running and biking and eating healthy and doing all this, there was this moment where the gynecologist was saying, well, it looks like you're looking at a hysterectomy, possible mastectomy, and a possible parathyroid removal. And it's just a matter of deciding which of these goes first. What? <laughs> and I and, and my husband was in the room with me, and, and I just had this incredible wave of disbelief. Because when you walk in and you think, I'm fine. And the next day you say, oh, I'm not so fine. So the hardest part of all of this for me was the minefield between my ears. Just the worry, the wonder, the fear, the will I get to do my life anymore? Or what will my life be like if I'm lucky enough to get over this? So we fast forward a little bit. It turns out that there was a benign tumor uh, in the nether regions that we were able to remove at the same time of the first surgical suite occasion with the lumpectomies. And it turned out that the parathyroid thing could be managed without surgery. So then the one illness that had the potential to affect the trajectory of my life was the breast cancer. That's where the focus needed to be. So we started with a lumpectomy and there were two On the right side? Yeah, two lumps, one at the 12 o'clock position, one at the four o'clock position, and I had to have a sentinel lymph node removed. And of course, we did the, the other surgery at the same time. So that was kind of a battle moment to go into surgery and have all four of those things done at the same time, very confronting in every way. And then, of course, it was a little disappointing to find out when we read the results that one of the lumps did not they didn't get clear margins on one of no. them. So I had to go back a month later for another surgery. And that was not, a, not what any of us wish for. And so, um, yeah, two visits to the surgical suite, one, two, three, four, however many. It's like yeah. And uh, very humbling to, to rely on my husband and my sister and other people to just come and look after me and, prepare food and make sure that I was resting and all of that.
0: Okay. I'm going to come back to that for sure. You mentioned you had one other symptom that you told this doctor. What was that?
1: Oh, it was the strangest thing. In my lower right abdomen, there was this persistent itch and it wouldn't go away. And there was no bug bite. There was no lesion. There was no skin irritation. It was just a strange unresolvable itch
0: and And they they tested your liver I assume
1: no it was a it was a um this is very personal but they did a vaginal uh, vaginal ultrasound oh yeah and so that's how they found that there was this she said well in the beginning she says looks like you're looking at a hysterectomy (laughs) which I really didn't want to deal with and I said well maybe it's not a hysterectomy And so when they went in, that's when they found this benign tumor in my uterus and they found some endometrial thickening and that was what was concerning to them. So they removed it and I seemed to be fine, Um, but it's sort of interesting. And I guess the takeaway is even if you're a normal, healthy person that only takes a vitamin on very rare occasions and never takes an aspirin, if you notice something that seems a little bit unusual trust your instincts and bring it to the attention of a medical provider so you can have it checked out. Because if I had not done that, this endometrial thickening could have continued and this benign tumor could have grown and who knows what else might have happened. So tune in. Pay so attention. your
0: itching went away?
1: For the most part. You know, so I don't intrigued. know how much of it's phantom now because after you've been poked and prodded and you know how it goes with uh, those of us who've had a health issue. It's like, you know, anytime you feel the least bit of a twinge of anything post-cancer diagnosis, you think your whole world is coming to an end.
0: Well, I'm not giving medical advice, but itching can be a sign of liver issues. And you just described, you know, sounds lower than the liver, but still it's on the side of the liver. So if you haven't had those liver enzymes evaluated, it's a simple blood test.
1: They did discover that with the blood tests that I had a calcium issue and um, also subsequently determined that I have osteoporosis, which with the post-cancer treatment becomes a little bit challenging to manage because many of these aromatase inhibitors also contribute to decreased bone density. And if your bone density is already compromised, that is something else that we have to manage. So for, for this healthy gal who hardly ever took a vitamin, you know, here I am a year later, and I'm healthy, vibrant, and strong, and I feel great. And just this week on Monday, I went in for my first look mammogram, and I got those beautiful words boring, benign, and unremarkable. So for right now, I'm healthy, vibrant, and strong, and feeling just great. But we are, I am taking vitamin D, and I am taking calcium, and I am um, doing a lot of weight-bearing exercise to address the osteoporosis and, and I'm, I'm just doing what I'm supposed to do, but I'm no longer the girl that just takes a vitamin every now and then. Now <laughs> I have to like take care of things.
0: <laughs> Nancy, in addition to not one, but two surgeries on your breast, what treatment did you have, if any?
1: I had 20 rounds of radiation.
0: Okay. Tell us about that.
1: Well, here again, radiation. If you read about it online and join any of the Facebook communities where breast cancer sisters are talking about their experience, you get the whole gamut of how horrible it is and how unremarkable it is. And if you're reading about it, you... allowing your own mindset to take you to some kind of a horrible roller coaster place where you're wondering what you're going to be like when you go through it and i was scared to death i really was but as it turned out it was very unremarkable i went in every single day at the same time monday through friday for four consecutive weeks the first three weeks was the whole breast being radiated and the fourth week was what they called a boost Where they would just put concentrated levels of radiation into the tumor bed. I was, I don't know what I was expecting, but you know, people talk about radiation burns and they talk about fear and all kinds of things. And I'd go in there, you can't hear it, you can't feel it. The technicians have a very good attitude, they play music you lay there and you, and you know, kind of, it's like, well, was it good for you? (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) Like, I don't know how that goes. Um, I think that, um, the hardest part of radiation is the things that you can't see and feel because when, when they say you will feel tired or you will experience fatigue, you think to yourself, like, look up fatigue in the dictionary, look up fatigue online. How hard could fatigue be? But fatigue is really real when you're experiencing it personally. And the level of tiredness that I was feeling, it's cumulative. So by the end of the fourth week, I was taking three hour naps. And I don't know if that's because of the battle between my ears of how much worry and fear that I was allowing myself to experience that was making me tired, or if it was a cumulative effect of the radiation. I was really grateful that I had scheduled my business life so that I could have some space on my calendar to rest. And for me, the radiation burns were very modest and they showed up a week or two after the treatment and they quickly resolved and I feel fine and I look fine. And I mean, it was kind of funny when I went in to have my mammogram just this week and she says, well, which side is it? And I said, That's it's good. The and she says, I can't even tell, like these surgeons are amazing what they're able to do to take care of what needs to be tended to so that there's hardly a, you can't tell my husband has, doesn't even, can't even tell.
0: Did you have any chemotherapy? No. And did you need any ongoing treatment? I'm trying to think of the most common one, but. Um, I'm on Tamoxifen.
1: On? Yes. Yeah, I'll be on tamoxifen. I'm just starting that now. I'm in my, I'm tapering, I'm on a tapered schedule to ultimately get to one pill a day. But I started with a half a pill every three days, and now I'm on the the schedule of one pill every three days for three weeks. And I'm moving up to, the daily regimen, and the reason we're doing that is I tend to be pretty hypersensitive to side effects of any kind of issue that might be foreign to my body. So we're just trying to keep track of how do I feel? How do I, how am I sleeping? Am I experiencing these side effects? Because um, the one thing you can control in this whole experience is how much of these things you're gonna take or not take. Either you're having surgery or you're not, either you're having chemotherapy or you're not, you're having radiation or you're not. These things are, once they're done, like that's it. But you do have control over how many of these pills, how long you take them. If for whatever reason you can't tolerate them, it's up to you to decide if you want to continue or not. You and your doctor make that decision.
0: Does that mean that your breast cancer was was, uh, estrogen positive?
1: It, it was HR yeah, I was, positive.
0: I was trying to remember because not everybody has to do tamoxifen. So I was just trying to remember. Right. It sounds like overall that they had a fairly conservative approach. Is that a fair assessment?
1: Well, I just have to tip my hat to early detection because I have been pretty vi- vigilant about going in for mammograms based on my history. So the cancers were very small by clinical standards and contained and easily removed. There is a test you can take. It's a test you take that will determine the degree to which your cancer will be aided by chemotherapy. And it's, there's a
0: lot of those. Yeah.
1: <laughs> it's a very expensive test. And for I guess it's my memory is failing me because it was such a traumatic thing. I wanted this test. I said to the doctor, but that was one of my greatest fears is I really did not want to have chemotherapy if I didn't have to have it.
0: Right.
1: It's called an oncotype score. It's called an oncotype test and the doctor orders it. And then they take the tissue and they run it through the oncotype test. And if you get a low score, that means that your cancer will not be aided by chemotherapy. If you get a high score, it's a high indication that you should have chemotherapy. So one of my dramatic moments during my journey was, I read about this test. I knew that I wanted it. And I said to the surgeon, please order the Oncotype test for me. And I asked for it on a a day. And 11 days later, I'm tapping my toe and I'm waiting to hear and what the situation is. And it turns out they forgot to order the test. I was livid because that was 11 days of worrying and wondering whether or not I was going to have to do chemotherapy or not. And I wanted an answer within two weeks. And now I was going to have to start the clock again because they forgot to order the test. Fortunately, the test came back with a very low score, which means that I didn't have to have chemotherapy, so it had a nice happy ending. But the lesson for any person who might be watching or listening to this is be responsible for your own care. And if you say, I want this test, when can I expect to receive results? Don't be shy about following up 24 hours later just making sure that you ordered that test because the worrying and wondering is really hard for me i don't want to be at the situation where this has gone unnoticed be your own advocate because those 11 days that i was waiting it was wasted energy that just took me into a bit of a downward spiral and so be an advocate for yourself and make sure that what you ask for you get because the anxiety that goes on between My ears, you know, it's pretty sizable. So I can only imagine what other people who are going through this are feeling also.
0: Now, you mentioned these tests in general are very expensive. Were you able to get it covered by insurance or did you pay for this out of pocket?
1: Oh, this is a test that's covered by insurance. And thank goodness. I'm very grateful for healthcare insurance. My deductible was high, but I'm grateful that we could manage whatever that was, so that I could go through these various steps of treatments and whatnot and not have to be worried about how we were going to pay for it. Okay. Um,
0: Nancy, I want to go back to something you said earlier. You said allowing others, you mentioned your husband, your sister, I think you mentioned a friend, allowing others to take care of you was very humbling. And I want to know why. Why was that humbling? What do you mean when you say that?
1: I've always prided myself on being able to be independent and capable of doing whatever needed to be done to manage myself, my life, whatever the case may be. And this comes from perhaps the way I was raised where my mom was not particularly a nurturing person. She would just say, you know, hang out in your room until you feel better. And that's that, (laughs) you know, and so i was really it's humbling when you might be feeling pain or discomfort or a level of tiredness that's makes it po- impossible for you to do your normal life like whatever is on your normal to do list okay i'm going to do a b c d and e today well maybe because of this pain illness whatever it is you're only able to do one thing and the yeah. rest of the list is untouched it's 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 humbling to say, I'm not able to do that. Can you help me out? And my sister flew in and she said, I'm just gonna cook. I'm gonna make meals and there's gonna be stuff in the freezer and there's gonna be stuff in the pantry. And I'm gonna tend to things that you would do if you were feeling well, so that when you're hungry, there's food here. What a great thing, so great. My sister was here. My husband obviously cares very deeply for me. We've been married for almost 36 years. I'm his rock. He's mine. But it's a lot for him to hold looking after me. It was nice for my sister to look after him and my, my friend Barbara to look after him because he had whoever it is that's going through the illness, the person who's providing the care has their own journey to go through, too. And it's yeah. it's a battlefield for them as well. And just being able to go and walk the dog and leave the building and get some fresh air, knowing that someone else was here to look after me is such a great gift to be able to receive because he's a lot like me. He wants to be very independent and take care of things and and some things he can't fix, you know, this was not an easily fixable thing. It was a six or eight month journey of, oh gosh, here we go again. And it's a lot to deal with. So it's humbling for all of us. The other part of it is you find out who your friends are and you find out who your friends are not. Amen. And and there was some of that that was incredibly disappointing for me. Um, I reached out to one friend who I thought was a friend for a very long time because it's lonely going through this and you just need to talk sometimes. And I think her words were, maybe you should join a cancer support group or make friends in your own town. She says to me. And I'm looking at the phone and I'm thinking, did she just write me off? I think she just wrote me off. After all these years and after everything I've done to support her during whatever she was dealing with, this is what she's saying to me. And I was like, incredulous. I thought, wow, okay. (laughs) That's good to know.
0: I'm so glad you shared that story because I don't think enough people talk about that aspect of it. And at the end of the day, and I know you know this, it had nothing to do with you, right? It it was something going on with her, whether she just couldn't handle it or it brought up pain for her or whatever, but you do find out who your friends are.
1: Oh my gosh.
0: You, You really do. And I know you don't know my story, but I had a friend say to me, God only gives you what you can handle. And I was, to use your word, I was livid. I, I, I was like, are you kidding me? So because I'm strong, because my child is strong, that's why we're dealing with this. That's what's going on. Really? And, you know, we never spoke again.
1: I'm so sorry that happened. You know, that was one of the interesting things. Like, you know how people post... On Facebook or social media that they're dealing with something and then you get all these prayers and emoticons and it all feels really trite (laughs) and I'm thinking I'm not doing that I'm not gonna post anywhere about this until it's over in which case I'll share the victory but I don't want to share the highs and lows of it while I'm in it because it feels really trite and, and unsatisfying to get an emoticon when you're dealing with something that could take your breast or take your life. And they think that the emoticon is enough to put a salve on whatever you're dealing with. And it's like, I think it really heightened for me when I run into people on Facebook or elsewhere that reveal that they're having an issue. If I know them, I'll reach out to them personally and say something meaningful and say, if you want to talk, I'm here to listen. I understand, I'll I'll listen, I will care. I get what you're, I, I think I get what you're dealing with and I'm here for you. That's what I think a lot of people who are dealing with an illness want to hear. I get that this is a big deal and I'm here for you. How can I help? But go get some help. I'm not here for you. is really hard to make. <laughs>
0: right? It is, <laughs> it is really hard. It, it's it's funny you say that because every now and then, my my personal Facebook account are people I know. I keep it pretty small. And every now and then I'll post about stuff that I have going on health-wise. But I've done it less and less, mostly because of the innate advice I get. Good good meaning, well-meaning, well-intentioned, but it's just dumb. Because <laughs> my, my brain is like, and you didn't think I'd already thought of that? Like I just get kind of snarky <laughs> in my head, you know, and that's not how I normally am. And and so I I think the last time I post about something, I I put the end, I am not looking for advice. I'm just sharing information in case you have these
1: symptoms too.
0: Yeah. And, and you know, and, and luckily people respected that.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, so oh. you, brought, you brought something up that I want to sort of touch on. I have in my business, I often often said that I have a velvet boot of accountability that's going to ensure that you're going to do what is necessary to get to the promised results. And one of the things that I've noticed since I've endured this journey with diagnosis, treatment, and recovery is that my velvet boot has a much sharper edge. My patience is thin. Uh, If you're a whiner or complainer or you're (laughs) talking about something that is not life altering and you're circling the drain about something inconsequential i am not as lovely and generous and kind and uh, you know, i am not a, i think get get over it baby like it's like you know get on with it or get up you know get over it and get on with it like that's stupid <laughs> you know and it's so i've realized my patience is thin um i i don't have patience for people who don't take responsibility for their own lives. And, and I don't think I can go back. I think that one of the cool things about going through this is you get really clear about what's important to you and you get really clear about what you will or will not tolerate. And I actually made a bracelet called energy engagement and enthusiasm, and I wear it every day. They call the triple E or bust. If it's not, if I'm not energized, enthusiastic, or engaged, in doing whatever that is, it's a no. And so I'm checking my energy every single day. If that's an energy vampire, got to get out of that. If that's an energy drain, got to get out of that. I don't have time to waste doing stupid stuff that I suck at, or that's not going to get me to the promised land. And so you get really deliberate about what is important and what isn't. and, And that is a silver lining of having gone through all of this
0: wow i love that so it's almost like you wear your values on your wrist right here all right so i want to ask you nancy what is one thing you wish you had known at the beginning
1: the breast cancer support groups on facebook can be a blessing for many people but if i had to do it over again i would not have joined because i found that the Debbie Downers in the community brought me down instead of lifting me up. In exchange, I learned about an organization that was a godsend for me. It's called the Fourth Angel Peer-to-Peer Mentoring Program out of the Cleveland Clinic. Olympic skater Scott Hamilton is a multiple time survivor of many cancers who decided to start this organization because he realized that when people are going through cancer, they have their family, they have their friends, they have their nurses, they have their doctors, but what they really wanna do is talk to another person on the planet that has the same cancer or illness that they have at the same stage so they can get hacks and suggestions and ideas and ways to cope that would be peer to peer. And when I found out about it and that it was an actual nonprofit organization, I applied to get a peer to peer mentor. And I am so grateful for that service. If If anyone is at the early part of their journey, I highly recommend that they reach out and ask to be matched because then it's just one person, similar age, a similar diagnosis, a similar treatment, but they're on the other side of it. They can be such a credible, helpful, supportive, resource so that you have support the way you need it without having to feel so alone. Would you send me a
0: link to that? Because I know I'm Merman Angels, but I don't know that one. So I want to make sure you put that in the show notes.
1: Yes. It, I, I was so taken with my mentor that when my birthday came around in December, I decided to do a fundraiser to raise money for the peer-to-peer mentoring program. And together with my family, friends, and extended community on social, we raised over $3,000 so that this program could continue to be funded because it was such a game changer for me. I'm so grateful because I, as I mentioned, I didn't advertise on Facebook that I had a problem until I was over the worst, the worst of it. I didn't tell my clients. I told very few people. So I, by definition, found myself very isolated and alone dealing with something that was really hard. And my peer-to-peer mentor was just there for me. And I could ask her all kinds of things like, what were the side effects of this? How did you take care of that? How did you address this problem? What would you say if this was your situation? She was so forthcoming and helpful. And that's really what I think a lot of us want is like, tell me how to navigate this part of it. It was so helpful.
0: Nancy, if you could only do one thing to improve healthcare in the U.S., what would it be and why?
1: Well, having read all the unfortunate experiences that women have dealing with ongoing management with tamoxifen and the aromatase inhibitors and all that, I wish that there would be considerable research put forth so that the side effects associated with keeping cancer at bay could be significantly reduced for women everywhere because it just breaks my heart reading about what people experience. I mean, it's a hard thing to do. Do I keep cancer at bay by taking medicines that give me side effects or do I not take the medicines and take my chances with my recurrence? It's it's a really hard road to navigate. It's everybody's personal decision, but some people suffer so mightily. I wish that there was a magic wand that could make those side effects go away.
0: Yeah. I really like that answer. Are you ready for the Thriver rapid fire questions? Sure. All right. Beach, desert, or mountains? Desert oh my gosh, you're my second desert today. Okay, I'm going to shut up. I'm, I'm, I'm interrupting the rapid fire, but it's such an unusual response.
1: Especially I live when in going Washington. It's rainy, cold, and snowy. Okay, that's okay. Fair, fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> totally fair. Okay. Um, Beach Boys,
0: Beatles, or Rolling Stones? Beatles. What's one word that best describes you? Generous. Before you die, what is the last song you want to hear?
1: You've got a friend, James Taylor. Great song.
0: Last meal you want to eat?
1: (sighs) Anything with chocolate.
0: The last person or people you want to see?
1: My husband and my son.
0: And the last words you will speak? I love you. And aside from Cancer you, what's one resource? You actually already gave us one that you would recommend for cancer patients and caregivers. So we're going to put that network, um, that peer matching network, in the resources. So instead of answering that, how can people get in touch with you? Tell us a little bit about what you have going on.
1: Well, my name's Nancy Jutton and I am the podcast guesting success expert and I guide experts around the world to be brilliant podcast guests so they're never hungry for an audience ever again. And if that's something that you or anyone you know is interested in, I invite you to visit MediaOneSheetNow.com to download a useful template that will position you as a guest that a top host can't wait to talk to. And if there's more you want to learn about that, I've got a whole lot more power under the tent and I look forward to hearing from you.
0: All right. And we will make sure to put a link to that. um, And um, and, and how
1: can people get in touch with you? Would, would that be the way to do it? Yeah, MediaOneSheetNow.com is the perfect way to start. My website is GetKnownGetPaid.com and all my contact information is there as well. Perfect.
0: Nancy, thank you so much for coming on and sharing what is a very, very recent
1: story for you. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure.